and welcome to ICI Digs Deep, sponsored by Frost Brown Todd LLC. In this two-part episode, Richard Hedgecock talks to Build Indiana Council lobbyists Dennis Falkenberg and Lori Maldlin of Appian and Steve Fisher of Fisher Consulting about the upcoming election and what the potential results could mean for our industry. This episode focuses specifically on Indiana elections. For national elections, check out the other episode that aired today. This is Richard Hedgecock here again with another edition of the ICI Digs Deep podcast. And today we've got a really neat offering for you. We've brought in the BIC Build Indiana Council lobbying team to have a little discussion about the upcoming election. In case you hadn't heard, we have an election coming up. It's going to cover a lot of different uh, races at a lot of different levels. And all of those levels and races will have an impact on our industry. And so today we're not going to tell you how to vote. But we are going to tell you uh, some of the things that are coming up and what the potential impacts exist for whoever wins in November. So I'm going to introduce quickly our three panelists and then let them tell you a little bit about themselves. We have with Appian here in Indianapolis, Dennis Falkenberg and Lori Maldon. And then we have Steve Fisher, our DC lobbyist, with us as well. So each of you, if you want to give us a little thumbnail about yourselves, uh, Dennis, you want to go first? Yeah, Dennis Falkenberg, President and CEO at Appian out of Indianapolis. We do work with Build Indiana Council and ICI, Build Indiana Council in Indianapolis State House, as well as out in Washington, working on federal highway issues. Lori? Lori Maudlin, also with Appian, Vice President there. And I think Dennis just gave a good roundup of everything we do. So I'll leave it there. Right. And Steve Fisher. I'm Steve Fisher. I have been Washington representative for Build Indiana Council since I think 1995. So it's been a while, but we've worked on a lot of transportation legislation over the years here in D.C. and have enjoyed working with both Dennis and Lori most of those years. So, Steve, we know what the Indiana world has been like the last five months. What's it been like up there in the D.C. bubble? Has the bubble gotten even bubblier? Uh, You would think from TV, I'll tell you, the city is actually deserted. As you walk around it physically, it's actually deserted. Uh, You see very little traffic, very few people walking around. People have evacuated. I think the dynamic of working from home is such that people have decided to decamp to their summer cottages and beach homes or whatever they have. I definitely know people who've gone to live with their families, their parents, and so on uh, somewhere else in the United States, simply because there was more room. Perhaps you have two spouses uh, working from home, and then also the kids home from school. And so a lot of people have left. It's actually pretty dead here. The work continues virtually, though. So all the usual uh, activity here is going on. It's just happening in a virtual sense by telephone and by Zoom calls and so on. But uh, physically, no one's around, and things are pretty uh, shuttered here. We see it's crazy in Indianapolis. You drive around town and everything looks normal and fine. And then you get inside the uh, downtown loop and it just becomes ghost town. Yeah. Yeah. And I would have to imagine that all of DC is ghost town, other than, I mean, in the Northwest sector, I suppose. Yeah. But even some of the neighborhoods are quiet because I, I really think, I know people, I know a lot of people who are just not here. They've chosen to do the pandemic period from a location that has more square footage. Heck, I've probably had five neighbors move thus far, which is a lot of people who have decided to move to the suburbs because 
they just can't all be at home at the same time, tripping over each other. And so they bought larger homes out in the suburbs. And so you sort of have this movement out of the city center uh, to the suburbs. And then if people had second homes, they're using those to accomplish this goal instead of buying a, a new home. The impacts on long-term commercial real estate, it's going to be... It's fascinating, actually. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. I think it's going to really shake up that world. All right. So let's get to our topics at hand. Uh, we'll start closer to home. Dennis, it would appear that the governor's race would be a walkover, that it would just be a nothing deal with a popular incumbent who's done a good job, but we've seen a few quite caps on the water here as of late. You're right. And I think it will be a walkover, but I've been wrong before. Governor Eric Holcomb, incumbent, finishing his first four-year term, is running for re-election. He's been wildly popular. He's a real folksy guy, very Hoosier-like, gets along with Hoosiers like him. Popularity rating, you know, high 60s, 70% generally. His opponent is Dr. Woody Myers, a Democrat from Indiana, had moved to New York, became the health commissioner out in New York after he was the secretary of health and human services here in Indiana back in the 1980s. Then he went off, did bigger things, and then he came home, decided he wanted to get into politics. So you would think that a physician, Dr. Myers, might be perfectly suited for Indiana's leader in a pandemic. But uh, nothing seems to have caught fire there. He has not been able to raise money, has not been able to get typical Democrat Party endorsements. The unions generally are not endorsing him. They're choosing not to endorse either a few endorsing Holcomb. So that would point to a huge Holcomb landslide. However, like everything else, the pandemic has thrown a wrench into it. Governor Holcomb has been very followed the science-oriented, I would say, in his leading of the pandemic. And he's following the directive of the uh, health experts in Indiana on wearing masks, social distancing, closing churches, lots of things that conservative Hoosier voters don't like to be told, that they can't go to church, that they've got to wear anything, much less a mask. They um, have the very conservative faction of the Republican Party is rebelling. And in the latest poll that was taken, that I've seen anyway, there is only a six point difference now between Governor Holcomb and the Democrat challenger, Woody Myers. But it's not because the vote went to Woody Myers. They've gone to the Libertarian. So they chose the uh, not you, Governor Holcomb, but uh, not the Democrat either. So the Libertarian candidate, who I would challenge any of you to name, his name happens to be Rainwater. <laughs> uh, Donald Rainwater is Libertarian, and he's picked up 15 points in the last couple of weeks. We'll see. I think, yeah, probably a knee-jerk reaction of, hey, I'll show you. But on election day, are they really going to risk a Democrat winning? Probably not. But wouldn't you think, I would think many of those people, would, those Republicans would come home in the end. I believe they will. Nice strategy, though, to try to get the governor to come around to their side. And, you know, we saw with the opening to stage five, although some have called it 4.75, that maybe there is an impact to that, that we are able to congregate now, even though we do have masks. So it may be effective. Yeah, I can tell you that my very liberal older brother was with us for about four weeks in late March and April. And he thinks the governor is awesome. He just thinks he's hand, how, how he handled the pandemic, how he 
how he presents himself and talks in a measured way. He just loves him. Yeah, I don't doubt that. I saw a Twitter comment just in the last day or so. Someone called Eric Holcomb Donald Trump with an aw shucks attitude. <laughs> Funny. So with the result of the gubernatorial election, I believe probably being in a fairly comfortable Eric Holcomb win, he has been incredible for our industry. So I think that would be nothing but good for us to see uh, another Eric Holcomb term where he approved the 10 cent gas tax that we got two years ago. He brokered another deal for the toll road lease amendment, got a billion dollars out of it, and he directed 600 million of that to highways in Indiana. So he has been really good for highways in Indiana. That's good. So, Laurie, there's a lot of attention. It seems like the most exciting race statewide is going to be the AG race. You want to talk a little bit about that, and then maybe the two of you could talk some about the state house and state senate and where their splits are going to end up. Yeah, it seems like most of the Democrat attention is going to the attorney general's race. It's Todd Rakita, who was secretary of state for two terms and then was a congressman, and Jonathan Weinzeffel from Evansville, mayor for two terms. And typically, just right out of the box, it's you would say it leans Republican, you know, our attorney generals typically are anymore. And even when, you know, looking back over the last several races, it's kind of been a two-thirds to one-third vote for the Republican. And most are saying that Rakita is probably going to get it. I think the last polls, that same one that Dennis mentioned actually showed a poll that Rakita was at 50% or 49% and uh, Weinzeppel was down in the mid-30s. So he has definitely some room to make up. But he definitely has the money that's not going to Woody Myers. You know, Woody Myers has a million dollars that he's got in his campaign chest and Holcomb has eight million dollars. So Wines Apple is getting some of that. But Rakita just got a big contribution from the Republican Attorney General's Association. So he's kind of making up the money side of it as well. It's kind of the one chance for a statewide office for the Democrats, but it's going to be a fight for sure. Yeah, right. So let's talk about the state house. Overwhelming majorities right now, House and Senate. We think it's going to stay the same. We think there'd be a maybe a little bit of a chink in the armor. Well, I'll start Dennis and you chime in. So, you know, there's a chance that the House might lose their supermajority. You know, that's the biggest threat, I guess, at the moment. But when you look at the races, the Democrats have just as many in play as the Republicans do. So it seems like it's not necessarily likely that they're going to lose their supermajority. And some of the people who are running for the Democrat seats have held office before and were pretty popular. So they've definitely got a good chance of taking it back. The Senate, there's a couple of uh, certainly close races, John Ruckel's house and Bohachik up north. Those seem to be the two big ones in terms of the Republicans. And honestly, I'm not really aware of any Democrat senators that are having a too tough of a race. How about you, Dennis? I would agree. I would say on the House side, Supermajority being the two-thirds number of members there that you don't have to have any of the Democrats show up and the Republicans can do business. So they could call a session at 2 a.m. and vote in a bill with no Democrats and leaving them all in their hotels. So it's, it's really an advantage that they don't have to take any compromise from the other side the way it is. It's with this election cycle, I'd say, you know, there are probably eight seats in the House that are up for grabs, at least some contest there, uh, a few of them more dangerous than others. But it's 
probably going to be a little bit of trading back and forth uh, and switching seats. The Republicans may lose a couple, but I think they'll have a clear 60-something majority when it's over. That's what I'm guessing. Is they lose two or three, but the Senate stays pretty pretty much the same. Yeah. You know, one of the uh, Senate seats, Republican seats that's most in danger, Lori mentioned John Ruckel's house. He actually used to be a lobbyist for our industry. He lobbied for um, ICI and Beck and uh, a real friend of our industry. We'll certainly be keeping an eye on that. Yeah, right. The impact on the highway industry for the House and Senate switches. Highways are generally a bipartisan issue, but they've gotten awfully partisan since the toll road deal here back in 2005. The Republican supermajorities have been really good for the highway industry. I don't see Democrat gains hurting us terribly, but uh, it's been really comfortable uh, having the <laughs> House and Senate caucuses leading the charge for our highway industry on issues. Yeah, right. And especially, you know, going into our budget, that's going to be really important. You know, I think the Republican caucus has been very strong for us in terms of keeping that highway funding safe and that's great. That's the only kind of certainty that we have in all of this time. So, Yeah, and that's probably a topic that we'll come back around in a couple of months to talk about coming up as the session and what monsters may be lurking out there. Yeah. Frost Brown Todd is a recognized thought leader working nationally and internationally in the industries of mobility and transportation, healthcare innovation, energy, financial services, and manufacturing. Their industry teams are purpose-built to provide integrated legal and business support across all levels of their clients' operations, from the boardroom to the factory floor and everywhere in between. To get in touch, give Frost Brown Todd a call at 317-237-3800. talk about on the federal level let's do the house and senate first actually we don't have a senate race here in indiana this year but several house races let's talk about the indiana races in specific and then a little bit more about the larger look across the country and the opportunity for those chambers to possibly flip steve you want to start off sure so as you said, Richard, neither of our two U.S. senators is up for re-election this year. As a reminder to podcast listeners, senators are on a six-year terms, congressmen are on two-year terms, and about a third of the U.S. Senate is up for re-election every two years. So neither of our two senators are up for re-election this time around. So there'll be no change as far as Indiana's Senate representation this election. On the House side, every member of the House of Representatives, all 435 of them are up for re-election every two years. So like all congressmen and congresswomen, all of our House members are up for re-election. Two are uh, retiring, Congresswoman Brooks and Congressman Pete Fisklosky. Congresswoman Brooks is from the 5th District, northern edge of Indianapolis and the northern suburbs of Indianapolis. And Congressman Vesklosky represents the 1st District, which is up in northwest corner of the state. And so the rest of our congressional representatives, and we have nine, uh, the rest, the other seven, are all uh, incumbents running for re-election and being challenged by somebody from the other party. Up in the 1st District, because it is such a heavily Democratic district, Frank Mervan, North Township trustee, has won the Democratic primary. It's largely assumed that he'll take that seat because uh, it has typically been held, as long as I can remember, by a Democrat. So in my mind, that race is pretty predictable at this point. And then uh, really, 
The other congressional districts, other than the fifth, the others are polling is indicating that largely uh, probable and likely that the incumbents will win re-election and the legislators that are currently representing those districts will in fact represent them in the next Congress. The fifth is really the wild card here. We have former uh, Indiana House member Christina Hale and also on the other side uh, as the Democratic candidate and Victoria Sparks on the Republican side. And polling is showing that these two are fairly close. I'll certainly be interested in both um, Dennis and Laurie's view on on which might be ahead. But really, uh, I suspect the presidential election and larger national forces and wins on politics will end up influencing this race in the 5th Congressional District in Indiana. And keep in mind, uh, and we can discuss this in a minute, there are larger forces affecting the presidential race. So uh, I think those same forces will come into play in affecting uh, who gets elected in the 5th District. But let me at this point defer to Dennis and Lori. Both of these women have served in the Indiana General Assembly, and I think they are people familiar to you. Let me ask them to comment because they're probably a little more familiar. Victoria Sparts is a very, very conservative former state senator. She was just a senator for two years. She was uh, caucused in after the departure of Senator Luke Kenley. So she never stood for election. And she signed up to be a candidate for that seat this past year. But her primary, she had serious primary opposition from inside the party. She was kind of an outsider. When things started looking kind of tough for her, she decided to run for Congress. And she threw, I believe it was $700,000 of her own money into her congressional race. And she came out of nowhere and won that congressional primary. I believe it was, uh, she was one of 13 candidates. The state treasurer was one of the candidates, the one the party insiders seemed to think was the shoe-in for it. And she came out and beat them all. So she has raised a lot of money from herself. (laughs) Christina Hale has raised a lot of money. Uh, She is a fair-haired child of the Democrat Party, and they had tagged her long ago to uh, take that seat away from Republicans because it's such a changing district. I am actually barely in that district, and I can attest from neighbors and signs I see in the neighborhoods that she is very popular. And it is a changing district. It used to be very, very Republican. It's the home neighborhood of Dick Luger back in the day, Steve, uh, your former employer. But you wouldn't recognize that now. It is really changing. And all the way up into Hamilton County, which has been reliably Republican, is turning um, not blue, but purple. And uh, that's changing the outlook for that district a lot. And the National Democrat Congressional Committee has noticed that and have put a ton of money in her campaign. I just was about to say, I saw that today, the DCCC had ads up. And I wonder, when was the last time they were even involved in an election in this district? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dan Burton held it for years. It was as conservative as conservative can be, nearly uncontested. I find it interesting that in light of that, one of Victoria Sparks' biggest supporters is the Club for Growth, which, of course, is conservative as you can get. So they put a lot of money into her campaign as well and did some polling for her as well. Not surprising, showed that she was in the lead and Christina Hale's internal polling showed that she was in the lead. So I think it's just neck and neck. But 
exactly right on that changing district. And does a club for growth provide a bonus for Victoria Sparks or does it hurt her? I think that'll that'll be interesting to watch. I think we're subject to a lot of Indianapolis think here where we see that this part of the district changing. But we got to remember this district goes all the way up to Marion, Indiana. And that is very Republican, rural, conservative country. And it's not changing much up there. So we'll see. Hey, Richard, if I could add one thing. Of the 11 congressional representatives, the two senators and the nine congresspeople from Indiana, you know, there are three that are of particular focus for us, well, maybe four, particular focus for us because of the committees they sit on. Senator Braun, who serves on the Environment and Public Works Committee, which drafts the periodic highway legislation and infrastructure legislation. And then in the House, uh, the House Transportation Committee, we have two Indiana members, Congressman Greg Pence and Congressman Andre Carson. None of those folks are expected to uh, lose their elections. We expect them to be back next Congress. So really, our key players on the Hill will probably return as far as our Indiana players. The fourth I would mention is Congresswoman Jackie Walorski, who is uh, a member of the House Ways and Means Committee, which is usually viewed as critical to this process because they have to come up with a way to pay for the highway program. And typically, we are urging them to uh, adjust the gas tax to do so. However, in the last couple of years, it appears Congress doesn't care how to pay for things anymore. And so we are approving trillions these days without coming up with ways to pay for them. So I don't know that that matters that much anymore. Right. Uh, it, it may not matter uh, the fight over how to pay for the highway program or any other federal program because uh, deficit spending seems to be okay with both parties right now. And so it's, it's a strange time. But I guess my point is that I don't expect our um, traction on Capitol Hill on infrastructure issues with our own delegation to change with the next Congress. So, Dennis Laurie, as it relates to that, I know we don't have much of a track record to go on with Victoria Sparts, but was Christina Hale good with us on on our issues back in the day? She didn't really have a test of voting on a highway bill, I I don't think, Laurie. Right. So... No acid test, but Democrats voted against everything on first round of highway bills that we have had. So she was very much a caucus follower. I would not have expected her to break away and vote with us. I will say, too, that she was lieutenant governor candidate with John Gregg during the last gubernatorial. And they were they were OK on transportation funding. So, you know, he's, yeah. he had long support for it. And so their ticket did as well. She is very much on social issues. All of her commercials are about children and children's services and that sort of thing. So I I would expect her to lean that direction rather than on infrastructure. You know, Democrats are supported by unions. Unions support highway funding, creates good jobs. So I would expect her to be an ally with the union wishes to get a well-funded highway program. Thank you again to our guests, Steve Fisher, Lori Maudlin, Dennis Falkenberg, and Richard Hedgecock, as well as our sponsor, Frost Brown Todd LLC. To get in touch with Frost Brown Todd, give them a call at 317-237-3800. If you want to hear what our guests think about the national elections, listen to the other ICI Digs Deep episode that aired today. Join us every Friday during your morning commute to hear safety talks, member spotlights, and inside information about the infrastructure and transportation construction industry. This has been ICI Digs Deep. 
Let's break ground together. 